Welcome to Raising Parents 2.0, where we learn to take fear and worry out of life and parenting and lead with love and leadership. I'm your host, Saloni Singh, a mom, a life, family and self-mastery coach. Every week, I'm interviewing inspiring people from all walks of life to talk about the essential ingredients to create a life that inspires you, your children and make a positive impact in the world too. A life you love living. So let's begin. Hello friends. I have a very special guest on the show today. Have you ever met someone for the first time and felt as if you're meeting an old childhood friend? That's exactly how I felt when I met my guest, Karen Perry. She's so warm, friendly, gentle and kind-hearted. Karen is a Los Angeles-based executive coach, author and intuitive guide creating and facilitating fun and immersive leadership retreats, programs, supporting women and men to listen to their inner wisdom and find their better way through surfing in Hawaii, getting feedback straight from a horse at the ranch and by her vlogs, newsletters, private sessions. Clients say Karen is magical. Karen loves being a wife and mother, an animal rescuer, a traveler, a home cook, and is eager to go to Disneyland when the pandemic is over. She's author of the book, There's Got to Be a Better Way, an overachiever's guide to discovering joy. I'm sure there will be many people here, moms and dads who would feel the same way, as maybe I may not be able to find a better way, but really are looking for one. So I can't wait to talk to Karen and explore more about this. And welcome Karen on the show. Hi, Karen. Hi, how are you? I'm really, really good. How are you? I'm very well. You know, I as you were saying that, I was like, that's exactly how I felt when I met you. I felt like we've known each other our whole lives. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. And uh, I, I really wanted to say that because that was such a strong feeling I felt when I met. And I remember so many things we talked about and it was so much fun talking to you as, as you're talking to an old friend, literally. I want to give a shout out to Gary, Gary Mahler, who actually connected both of us. So thank you so much, Gary, for connecting us. And I'm so looking forward to this conversation. So the first thing I want to ask you, Karen, is this, that how would you like to describe yourself? So I, I have given a brief you know, introduction about you, but I really want to know who are you? Because you have such a beautiful journey. I've read your book and I was like glued to it. Every word was like so beautiful. And, you know, it was bringing me closer to myself. I, I really loved the way you write. Your writing style is just beautiful, so raw. So who are you? Oh, my gosh. Um, it's such a big question because I think I have, as we've discussed, and as I wrote in many different places in the book, I've spent a lot of my life trying to not just be a label or not just be a role or not just be a thing to someone. So um, I think, you know, it really comes down to the bottom part of my bio is I'm a traveler. I'm in love with my family. I am passionate about animals. Um, I love creating beauty in the world. Um, and that people, I have a sign over my desk that says, you are magic. I am willing to believe that I am part magic. <laughs> Along my journey, I've become um, more of a woman of faith. 
which I never would have imagined I would be saying. Um, and that I think just translates into so much of what I talked about in my book is that better way is finding the inner voice, finding the stillness, finding the wisdom inside that, um, that we all have, you know, I have it, you have it, every single person who's listening has it. And it's just being able to find that. So I am as everyone is. <laughs> That's so beautiful. And that tells us something about you for sure. And, and I'm sure everybody can feel that. So what has been your journey? I really want to know your journey and what brought you to a place where you actually wrote that. And you've shared a lot. Mm experiences in the book as well yeah if you can do a glimpse of that yeah so I think sort of the fast forward version um is had a challenging childhood and I the overachiever part that I talk about is I was always striving for the next thing so when I realized in school I was in middle school back then it was called junior high um that you could get extra attention for getting straight A's. I was like, I am always going to get straight A's like from here on out. And I did like, that was it. Um, and so I was always like that next thing, that next thing, that next thing, you know, from going to college, um, getting a master's degree while I was working full time at the same time I was married. It was like, I had this checklist like, okay, next, 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 which um, ended one day when um, I was pregnant with my first child, my son, and I was on my way to work one day, I was about four and a half, five months pregnant. And um, I got into a car accident. And having that experience, I was fine. The baby was fine. And my doctor said, you can't, you, you can't work anymore. And I was like, but I have to, they need me. You know, I have so many things, you know, the next 35 things on my list, I had no plans of stopping work. And he said, well, what's more important, your job or your baby? And it was like, I didn't have a baby, but it was an obvious answer. You know, my baby, my, my child, my unborn child. Um, and I, I shared with you when we spoke last, um, the part that I didn't write in the book was, so I was like kind of sitting with that for a day. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm listening to him, but I'm not really believing the doctor that I have to stop working. Um, I was so invested in, you know, the important things I was doing. And then um, the next day, my husband was out with some friends. It was a Saturday and I was at the grocery store and I nearly fainted. Um, and I was like, okay, it's like now it's time to listen. And I think that's one of those things that people often find their body has wisdom that maybe their brain doesn't want to recognize. And so I, at that point, I, um, I accepted the, the advice to go on leave of absence, which then extended for about five years. Um, not planned. Um, but once I was home, my husband's job situation changed so that I could stay home. Um, it was very important to me to be home, just full-time mom. So I did that. I was home with my kids. And while I was just a mom, <laughs> um, I started like all that sort of the, my type A started to unwind a bit because it didn't matter. Like my kids didn't care. You know, my kids, you know, we're going to spit up on me whether or not I had a master's degree, you know, like it did not matter. And they didn't care how much I read in the books. You know, they needed me to be with them. They need me to be present to them. Um, so as that sort of identity was changing, um, I knew I would have to go back to work at some point. Um, that was our family's plan. Um, our children were going to private school and we couldn't afford to do that on one salary. And so 
in very short succession, I went through an interview period. I ended up going back to my former employer. And one day I was driving to work and I dropped off my son at kindergarten, dropped off my daughter at preschool, making the commute. And typically the days were, you know, drop, drop, commute, work four hours, um, not have a ton of authority and autonomy because I was only working part-time and I couldn't really own the work the way I had before. Um, wrap it up, pick up one, pick up the other, go home and be a mom again. And as I was driving to work one day, um, I was like, I can't be the only one. I can't be the only person struggling with this. Like I can't be the only woman who's struggling with a sense of identity because I am not who I was before I had kids. And I, I don't want to do the same things anymore. Um, so that led me into a bit of a period of inquiry of what am I going to do next? Um, I ended up staying employed um, with that in that position for another probably six months. And then I worked my children's school. So at least I cut out the commute um, for about two years. And then um, while simultaneously, I had started um, pursuing coach training. So I'll jump way ahead to the book. <laughs> so all of my adventures and experiences with training with starting a business, my husband starting his own business, you know, kids growing up along the way. Um, every time I thought I had sort of the next thing, like I used to try to achieve, I'd have this sort of deeper knowing of like, nope, that's not it. You got to wait. You got to wait and see what's going to happen next. Um, and so those kind of stories are what ended up in the book because, you know, I do have a rather remarkable life. Um, I think anyone who would read, they'd be like, how, who, what, like, how did all this happen? But it's not from having a goal list. It's, you know, I've heard it, you know, referred to not the goal line, but the soul line. And I wouldn't necessarily say it was that for me, but it was that, let me stop. Let me pay attention. Um, and at a certain point I'd been writing blogs and journals and newsletters and sending these stories out and I wanted them to live beyond me. Um, and so I printed everything out I had ever written over about 20 years and then like sat with a pile and a red pen of like, this story is good. This story is not good. And I decided for this book that I wanted to self-publish because I wanted complete authority over my stories. I wanted to own them. I wanted to own the right to say, yes, this is important or not. Um, I don't know that I would be that way with further books because I think I'm a little bit more open and like, you know, understanding. But for this, I'm like, these are my stories. I want them to live. I want to be under, you know, my creative overview. And, and then I had gotten to as far as I could, I thought on my own. And then I hired an editor who then, you know, took a look at it and said, okay, you know, here's more to go, <laughs> you know, tell me more about this. I don't understand what you're saying here. And then we collaborated to create what now exists in the world. Beautiful, beautiful. And what has been your life's, you know, most challenging maybe experiences that has mm you in the person who are now that's such a big question i think you know for me i would not be who i am if i hadn't lost my father when i was four and i would not be who i am if i hadn't grown up with a mom who was undiagnosed bipolar disorder um and 
I will always say, you know, she did her best, everyone did their best, but there were still a lot of um, behaviors and beliefs that I adapted and developed that um, while on the outside, you know, everyone loves an achiever. You know, everyone's like, oh, you're doing all these things, except when it's empty um, and comes with a price, you know, and that price is a deep sense of dissatisfaction or questioning. Um, you know, that's something that I've worked in the last several years to untangle a lot more. And what I'm hearing is how our self-worth and self-esteem is so attached to everything we are achieving. And um, oh my gosh, losing, you know, hence the, the essence of who we are. And really, yeah. I remember when we were talking, we talked about the validation, external validation, how much we are of that. And I work with women yeah. Sure, as a coach, you must be working with people who struggle with this. So uh, what do you like to share about that? Well, it's just such a human thing. Um, and I'm sure, you know, many of your listeners and viewers are also parents, I'm sure most. Um, and we see it when our kids do it. And it's, you know, I'm seeing it with my children right now. And it's just like highlighted. I'm like, no, that's not the way. Um, and I think, you know, I think it's always worth questioning. You know, if, if the, if your primary driver is what somebody else thinks of you, then it becomes, you know, it begs the question, why, you know, what does that person have to say? For instance, um, I don't think my daughter would be upset if I said this, but we were talking about colleges, she's 16. And you know, that's certainly a, a thought. And she's like, I want to go to a real great school. I want to go to school that when somebody hears the name, they'll be impressed by it. I said, but why? And she's like, well, you know, that's cool. I'm like, well, but you don't know. Like, you don't know what the right school is for you and you don't know what impresses people and why. And, you know, just because her dad and I both have, you know, named schools that people have heard of <laughs> doesn't mean that's the best. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, um, whereas I think, you know, my son, my son's a currently a, a college freshman um, and it was a bit of a different journey because he decided he wanted to stay in Los Angeles, local. We looked at about four schools and at each school, we'd, you know, stop afterwards, have lunch. Um, this is, you know, pre-pandemic and we would write a list, you know, pros, cons. And then it was, okay, but why is that a con? You know, why is that a pro? Um, and it, it, he ended up choosing the school that felt like home. Mm. And that, you know, I think the antidote to that achiever mindset is, what feels like home, you know, what feels true, what feels authentic and real and genuine that you don't have to worry about what anyone else thinks because it doesn't matter. Yes. So important. I think it's so important to also to have these conversations, this open, honest conversation with your children to come to a place of where we are not judging them, but also as kind of leading them towards like more deeper questions. That's what you would do. Yeah. But I think it's interesting. I, one of my girlfriends, and she's also a coach. I remember her, one of her sons saying to her, mom, I don't need a coach right now. Like, just be my mom. Don't be my coach. Like, there's a value. There's a value that you need to be honoring here. They're like, no. <laughs> like, but it's true. But yeah, I think, and that's, I think, one of the great gifts is, you know, whether or not I'm a coach, I always want to know a deeper answer you know I, I always want to know a little bit more yeah I know my kids make a lot of fun of me everything doesn't have to be something life-changing or life-altering <laughs> I know it's silly funny and I'm like 
<laughs> I'm learning <laughs> more like you. So I'm the, the Northern well, amazing, amazing. So, uh, what part of your book, as I'm talking about your book, uh, Karen, that which you think like is really it was an interesting experience or something, it's a struggle or a challenge that just share one thing for me? Well, there's a there's a part of the book that I really like. So there's this conversation thread throughout the book between me and my husband, because when I started coaching, he was my first client, um, and there's a story I tell we were, it was, um, 2008. I had just started coach training. Um, I was like on fire to change the world. Of course, you know, every, every moment is transformative. And he was, um, it was just before the recession had hit and he had a situation with his employer at the time that he could see the writing on the wall that he was not going to, um, it wasn't going to be a good fit. There was some leadership changes and he knew he didn't want to stay at a certain point. And I wasn't working full time. You know, he's providing for our family. And so the first thing that hits is like the fear, how are we going to be okay? You know, how are we going to keep our house? How are we going to feed our children? You know, all those things that of course our you know lizard brain comes up with, you know, protect, protect, protect. I'm, you know, safety might be lost. And you know, health insurance, all the things that people start thinking of, if, if not this job, then what? And there was this day, and I, I wish I remember where I was sitting at the time, but you know, we were talking about it. And, and I said, well, you know, he's like, I need to know what you think. And I said, well, do you want to hear from your wife or your coach? It's like, I already know what my wife thinks. I need to hear from my coach. And I, it was like one of those like deep breath moments. I'm like, you can't stay. You know, this doesn't, this isn't who you want to be. This doesn't reflect, you know, the journey you want to be on. And, you know, it's time to bet on yourself is what I said to him. And so that, that conversation is a part of the book, you know, throughout because me being tuned into his, just as we would be with any client really, but me being tuned into what was important to him, what conditions would he thrive under? What did he need? What did he create? And who he was really at his core um, that gave me the courage to say, I would bet on you, you know, you always bet on everybody else. You need to bet on yourself. Oh. And that has been an incredible, incredible um, change in our, in our family, just in our life. Like we would not be where we are at all if, and it was scary. It was really scary for me at the time. Um, and then the next scary thing also related to him um, was when he needed to hire his first employee. And it was one of those things like, what if it doesn't work out? You know, we always want to protect the people we're taking care of. And I was like, you got to give it a try. Like everyone will understand, you know, there's, there's no perfect, there's no right answer, but you can't keep doing it. And I remember it was just one of those very tense, very stressful days. And he, we were having a you know, heated conversation on the phone, stopped talking. And I called him back. I'm like, I have to say this. Like, so I think those are those moments and you know, I've heard them referred to as crucible moments, but there's those moments of like, when something is presented with you, you cannot turn back. And in theory you could, <laughs> but you know, it was that the energy moving forward of like, no, this is the right choice. Awesome. And, and I really want to acknowledge, I mean, what you shared about your husband that I see that in relationships so many times we are not open even. 
can listen to our partners or to our children even though when we know that they are coming from a place of really even maybe deeper understanding of who you are because they're seeing you from a different perspective altogether and I think yeah for him to be open to that idea because uh, I remember as a part of my coach training that the first thing they say oh never try to coach your spouse <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can relate with that because uh, uh, most of the time with our close you know relationships we feel that there is some kind of you know bias or judgment we are always mm-hmm. But to be open to this idea that yes, so we can be vulnerable fully and listen to the people in our, in our lives. I think that itself is quite life altering, you know. I want to know more about, you mentioned about, you know, working with horses and you do training and you use that. Mm-hmm. I really am curious uh, to know the experience and what does it bring for other people, both your experience oh. and people as well, yeah. So cool. So it's a story I share in the book. Um, I volunteered working in an equestrian therapeutic center when I was young. And there was this one boy who had, um, he was quadriplegic and had cerebral palsy. And he would come out of his mom's van and he was just all tense and, you know, just really tight musculature, which is, you know, a symptom of the disease. And he would get on a horse and his whole body would relax. And his, he'd start smiling and laughing and it just, he was nonverbal, but like his, he, he just sparkled on top of a horse. So I'd had this experience that sort of was just in my back pocket. I never thought I'd have horses. I never thought I'd work with horses. And then, um, probably summer 2011, I don't know. I have the timelines, not quite right, but 2010, 2011, sometime in there, um, I, was watching a show on the Oprah network. Oprah had just finished her 25 years of network. And I had, Oprah was such a part of my growing, <laughs> you know, cause I used to watch her when I was in high school. And then, you know, so I was watching Oprah network and Martha Beck's doing this show with um, Sarah Ferguson. And they're doing this thing with horses and it's a leadership exercise with horses and horses respond to your energy. Mm-hmm. And when you can be calm, a horse can be calm. If you're agitated, a horse is agitated. Um, because horses are prey animals, they are extremely sensitive to energy because they need to know if there is a hungry mountain lion or a full mountain lion because the herd dynamic will adapt. And I think that is just absolutely fascinating. And so when humans interact with horses, they are just reflecting right back what they're seeing from you. And so when so I'd seen this thing on Oprah or on the Oprah network and then I was like I need to find someone who's doing that I have to find someone who's doing that and I was looking all over it, yeah it was the fall of 2011 no one knew anyone and then I was I joined this leadership program where I met Gary and um I get an email like we set up into like subgroups to you know have calls between our sesh, our retreats and one of the guys in mine happened to have a horse ranch <laughs> where he and his partner at the time were doing um, uh, diversity inclusion work with horses. And so I looked on their website, they're in Northern California, I'm in Southern California. And one of their partner facilities was 10, 15 minutes from my house. And so I asked, hey, can you make an introduction? And that's when I went to this training, which then, you know, I had to tell my husband all about. And then, you know, that led to his first experience that led to our adopting horses. Um, but uh, so in the, it's, I mean, it's, again, it's, it's an incredible story, but um, we now have our own 
property. We're on, we have 12 acres in Los Angeles County um, where we have, um, we have partners who train and manage the horses. Um, so we have a, a house that functions as the ranch and we have probably on property, probably anywhere between 50 and 60 horses uh-huh. at a time. Um, many of who are, whom are private clients of our partners who are doing just horse training. And then, you know, we will do once, you know, once we can, again, we'll do more leadership work with horses and bring groups out. And, and it's just, we do, we have exercises to help keep people out of their head, mm-hmm. you know, keep people in the moment. And depending on, you know, we're very focused and specialized to what a team is needing to then create um, dynamic activities where they can interact with the horses, interact as a team, and then have a chance to reflect on what the experience was. Because the horses have no agenda. They're not going to lie to you. <laughs> They're just going to give back to you what you're giving to them. Awesome. And I, I have a feeling that it applies to other pets as well. So Yeah, yeah. Horses are just so big that people have to be present. You know, I don't think you could do cat leadership. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Feline, no, no feline leadership, but equine <laughs> leadership works. Persona is that big, but uh, what I was saying that when we have pets, like I have a dog, and I noticed that a lot of time parents, you know, struggle. oh, absolutely, the children really want to have a pet, and uh, they see that more of a responsibility. And I feel that actually having a pet, it really helps you to ground you and to bring you to the present moment, as you said, really out of your head. And I think it does a good job for the children as well as parents. Uh, We've always had dogs with our kids. And I think it also, you know, there's a separate relationship to learn, yes. you know, for children and respecting boundaries mm-hmm. and nonverbal communication is so important and it's so important anywhere, but with our animals, you know, we have to pay attention because, you know, we don't know how many of our words they understand. So, uh, so anything in particular, uh, anything that comes to your mind from your experience with the horses that you would like to share? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, well, there's been a couple times that we've had horses. I mean, we we we've had a lot of horses in transition because our our partners train, and there is one horse that um, she was just a lovely horse for riding, and very often, and this is a horrible generalization, but very often true, is that many people will have not one horse, but you know, once you get one, you might have four or six. And so this one horse um, was somebody's extra horse. And so she was a great horse at the ranch. And um, the person who had her was moving out of state and decided she wanted to sell her. And so she, um, I think the horse had a funny name, but her one of her names was Charlotte. So I'll call her Charlotte. So Charlotte was going to be um, purchased and move in with a family and she's going to be a young girl's horse, which they tested her out. It was wonderfully exciting. And as they were getting her in the trailer, ready to go and leave our property, I could tell that the horse wasn't like, I could tell that she wasn't sure about what was happening. And it, this is again, a, a different part of my journey, but I've become very sensitive to energy and tuned into how things are interacting. And, and I'm much better listener than communicator back. And so I told my husband, I'm like, she doesn't know it's okay for her to go. Like she thinks she might be in trouble. And I'm like, you need to tell her that it's okay. And that, you know, that this is going to be fun for her and she gets to belong to one person. And so he went over and, you know, talked to her and he just loves being around them all. And he said, you know, okay, you know, Charlotte, it's okay. You know, there's a little girl who's waiting for you and you get to be the only horse, the special horse. And then she was willing to get in the trailer. 
And it was just one of these, like, again, kind of a magical experience. A similar thing had happened with a horse that he had rescued to be one of his primary horses who had come. And very often we end up with horses who have been, um, I just say, overused. You know, maybe they've been used for a sport or maybe they've been used for breeding, but they don't necessarily have a relationship or they don't know that they're their being is important. And so he has this very big horse that didn't want to get in a trailer to go somewhere fun. And I'm watching this and I said, honey, he, he doesn't know that he doesn't have a job to do. I could feel that he was just a little resentful, you know, because he'd been just kind of passed around and not abused at all, but just used. And I I said, I'm like, you got to go tell him like, this is the good times, like the good times start now. And so he went over and, you know, talked to the horse, which Again, if you've never done this before, it sounds a little fantastical, but he's like, listen, buddy, you know, all good times, you know, I'm never going to put pressure on you. You never have to perform for me. You know, it's all. And then, and then the horse just got in the trailer and, you know, they went out for, you know, they went off and it's yeah. those moments when, when they happen enough times, you can't deny that it's real. Mm-hmm. And I've seen just incredible things happen with people who, you know, may be feeling closed off. And a horse then, we did a training years ago, um, a horse just like gently came over to this, this man who um, worked in healthcare and was very, you know, very linear and very like, could not believe any of the, the woo-woo of, you know, all these magical things that could happen. And the horse um, came and just rested his head on his shoulder. And it was just like incredibly powerful moment. So it's like, it's, it's amazing. I wish everyone could have one of these um experiences. And there are many people all over the world doing incredible leadership, uh, you know, equine therapy, whatever it is that give you a chance to be in connection with a horse and not, you know, using a horse for transport or using, you know, using a horse for an activity. Wow. I think in all where like there's so much stress, anxiety, overwhelm, so much is going on. I think this is such uh, you know, not a rescue, but a healing process, I think. It's oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's a, a couple of girls that um, our trainer, Angie, has worked with. Um, one girl who um, had witnessed, she'd been a part of a school shooting, like there was a shooting at her school and she, you know, was experienced severe trauma, nightmares. And her mom knew of Angie and just asked if she could come out to the ranch and she would just come. She didn't have a job to do. She didn't just come and brush horses. And after a few months, you know, she stopped coming. And then Angie got a text from the mom. She doesn't have nightmares anymore. She's happy. I just feel like the horses have such a big heart that it allows ours to soften. And as you talked about heart, I've just remembered that in your book, you have mentioned about really listening to your inner voice. That is That comes from the place of your heart. And I think many people, and actually they ask as well that how do I really know which is my heart's voice so mm-hmm. I your take on that how if for someone maybe they they have this conflict you know mind versus heart you know? that it's so tough and I'm sure you like I work with very smart people <laughs> who very much try to outsmart their heart <laughs> <laughs> yeah um very often you know when I'm working with someone um you know, and they'll say something. I'm like, did you hear the, the tone of your voice when you said that? And they're like, uh, like, remember what you just said to me? I'm like, didn't that sound a little like defensive or apologetic? <laughs> you know, it's that, and I think that's the opposite of, you know, being able to listen to your wisdom. It's that um, when, when you can help point out to someone that um, 
that they're not speaking comfortably or, you know, reasonably or whatever it is. Um, but I think for people, it's, I'm going to have to think about this because I'm going to have to think about this. I'm going to have to feel about this. I'm going to have to listen to my heart about this. It's not the thinking part. It's the knowing, you know, it's the, how do you know that you like chocolate or vanilla? It's not something that you read. It's something that you feel it, you know, how do you know that you love your spouse or how do you know that you've fallen in love with your child? The moment you see them, it's what you know. And if you have to think about it, that's where I would start questioning, you know, what's taking you away from what you already know. And I think that I was working with a client today who I've been working with for um, more than a decade. She's been, she's one of my first clients and she's just incredible. And um, we were talking about something today. She's about to embark on something very big um, in her career, um, which, um, which will be, it's really, truly the next, you know, next level of her calling in the world. And, and we talked about, you know, it's, we have worked a lot to undo the sense that she has to do it all herself. She has to get it all right the first time or that, um, you know, that people aren't there to help her, you know? So it's this double-edged sword of like, I can be a part of this with a team um, and we can all do it together and we all benefit working together. But I said, you know, the bigger work is not the content, which will come very naturally to her because she's passionate about it, but it will be creating stillness in her life and creating, you know, a connection to her own spirit, because that's where the good stuff comes from. Yes. And I said, you know, and I said, um, you know, for her, she's a, she has a faith practice and, you know, she's looking for a new church and I said, and she's about to move. And I said, you know, tell me when you find your church, I'm like, you need to be in places and in situations where you can just be. Um, and I think everyone needs that in some way, you know, for my husband, it's the horses for me, I get lost in the kitchen. Like I love cooking and, you know, it's that those thoughts that, you know, the shower thoughts, the, when you're in your car thoughts, like the stuff that you wouldn't think of if you're sitting at your desk in front of a computer necessarily, but it's the stuff that, you know, comes to you when you're relaxed, when you've softened. And I think that's, um, I think that's kind of the bigger definer of it, um, and I think everyone has it. And I think that very often people are resistant because again, working with very smart people, we want to outsmart it all. You yeah. know, I can work harder and I can figure this out. Probably not. <laughs> I love that. People think that way. If I think, you know, a bit more. So it's not about thinking too much or analyzing too much. Another is the opposite. Yeah. Another is the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, the tuning into that stillness. Like sometimes it's just totally relaxed, being relaxed about mm -hmm. it. And that's when... Yeah. Not listening, and I think it's the process of training yourself to, you know, mm -hmm. keep going into that zones of yeah. and trusting it too. And that's what I think that's probably the biggest, you know, journey of the last decade for me has been, you know, I can always hear things, but it's being able to trust it and act on it, you know, with faith and not facts. And when I say faith, it's not a religious based faith necessarily. It's a, I'm pretty sure I know this. <laughs> and I'm willing to take the next step, Absolutely. even if it isn't all figured out. Amazing. And that's that trusting that, you know, as you take action, inspired action, that, um, that things will change. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with taking action and getting things done. We all have lists, but it's that inspired action of, okay, when, let me sit back for a second. Let me, you know, 
let me consider, let me, you know, let me listen, let me get advice from people I trust. I love that. So this is, this is bringing into my mind right now that from your life, and you have shared a lot of lessons in your book, and beautiful, amazing lessons, which your life brought to you. Can you share some, a few lessons, as many as you like, few lessons, which has, you know, come out from your journey, from your challenges mm-hmm. and and I think as a coach, you have beautifully looked you know, retrospectively and gathered them into nuggets of wisdom. Just share some of them with us. Thank you. Well, thank you for that beautiful acknowledgement, because I think, you know, very often when people have trauma in their lives, it's hard to see the gold in it um, and hard to be willing to look for it. I think you know, for me, things I've learned along the way, um, it's always OK to ask for help. It's OK to wait. Waiting is actually a verb. It's still an action. Um, I think, you know, trusting your instincts. Um, you know, I think many people will write off intuition very quickly. You know, oh, you know, that's just for, you know, I'm not, you know, reading tarot cards or you know, reading crystal balls. You know, that is not how I see intuition, even though there's nothing wrong with those things. It's just not my practice. But, you know, finding that part of you and the place of you that you can let be a guide, you know, that everyone has their own compass. And I think often we believe that we need a map, but we need, what we really need is to be able to tune into, okay, I think this is the next place. And if it's not, I'll go somewhere else, you know, to know that we are more resilient than we think is huge, I think. And that's something I'm always trying to help my kids with, because I think especially when we're younger, we tend to think that things are written in stone. And I think, you know, my journey as well as so many is, you know, there's always room for reinvention. And even if it's not reinventing a career and starting something new, there's a reinvention of self of saying, there's something about me that I want to be more of, or there's something about me that I want to be less of, you know, I want to be less critical. I want to be more patient, you know, any of those things, but there's always time for that. You know, you don't have to stop. And and I think one of the things that's really important to me is don't get married to things that don't matter. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) This is a very silly example, but I, I'm a very loyal person. Um, And like, I've been going to the same dry cleaner for 20 years because, and they're not the most convenient, but I love them. They're like family. And there's a a person I used to go to for my hair. And there is a point at which he just wasn't like, he was not on a great trajectory in his life, but he was, and he was just negative. And every time I saw him, I felt a little bad and I'd been with him I mean, I talked about like a relationship, but I've been with him for like 12 years and, <laughs> and then I left and he, you know, texted, and I like, I wish him well, I, I really do. I mean, all the love in the world, but I just didn't want to be around it anymore. And I think that there are times that we're um, very often willing to put up with something, you know, because we're getting something out of it. Whereas, you know, being willing to leave something that's not working is totally okay and often better. Yeah. But yeah, don't not get married to things that don't matter. <laughs> that that's wonderful. Don't things that don't matter. I, yeah, I absolutely love that. And keep reminding yourself of that as well. Yeah, but I think you know the biggest thing for me, um, or one of the biggest things for me, um, is I was so uh, attached to my identity as a you know as an achiever as a problem solver like I used to come into organizations I worked in nonprofits early in my career and I was a fixer like I would come in I would you know I would assess I would fix I would organize I would get everything running and then I would leave like that was just it's a great skill set to have um but that's not necessarily all that people want from me um 
And one of those things I thought I could fix for myself was myself. And I, you know, I had coaches, but I, I didn't actually want to deal with my mental health. And I think I had a lot of fear around, you know, the, um, the great caverns of despair that it might enter and, you know, that I might find out that I'm broken or I might find out, you know, terrible things about myself, which I think people are always afraid of when they're starting, you know, and an intimate, vulnerable relationship like coaching or therapy, or even, you know, some doctors, I'm sure, you know, it's like that I need to trust you with myself and I need to trust you to take care of me. And I don't trust people because I'm really good at taking care of myself. Um, and so, you know, there is a point at which I think I had exhausted coaching and it wasn't that I'd exhausted coaching because coaching is bad. I had exhausted coaching because I couldn't go as deep as I needed to. And, um, first therapist I worked with was like, I'm like eight sessions. I am healed. I am good. <laughs> and then I found myself um, being really short tempered about things that I had no reason to be angry about. And I was like, okay, let me find someone else. So I spent a couple, but on the surface, I'm a very polished together person, but underneath I've got a lot of, you know, there are a lot of cracks just like with anyone who's had a human life, you know, and has lived, you know, has had the blessing of living it. Um, and it wasn't until I accidentally ended up in an equine therapy program. I thought it, I was like, I'm going to this thing. It was at a resort in Arizona. Um, went out and visited Gary. I'm like, okay, see you for a couple of days, go to Arizona, do this thing, get some ideas for my ranch. And then all of a sudden I'm screaming in the desert <laughs> because what I thought was going to be this Oh, you know, I know how to do stuff with horses. Like I can pick a horse's foot. Like that's a common thing everyone does. <laughs> but it was the what was underneath. And so I went back and um, had a, another follow up with this uh, practitioner who, again, I didn't know he was a therapist. I'm like, cowboy, you know, it's a horse thing. And he called me out on some things. And I was like, oh, no. Um, and one of them, he said, you know, tell me about your life. And so I did. And he said, why are you so busy? What are you running from? And I was like, and that was like, I know what I'm running from. I know exactly what I'm running from. And so he gave me um, some good, tough love. And while I was away at this retreat, I, um, you know, started, you know, reaching out to my friends who had good therapists and who I knew had done significant work, you know, not like I had done like kind of drive by. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, someone's got to help me with trauma. And so I, I showed up at a therapist's office and I said, this might just be normal adult stuff. Like this might just be, you know, turning well at the time I was, you know, late forties, like, I'm just like, this might just be what life is, but let me just tell you what I got going on. And you can tell. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I think we have some work. to do. <laughs> so, and that's, but that, you know, it's, it is a, I think for many people who are successful, we have a hard shell and, you know, we don't always show lead with our vulnerability, you know, because it's, it's easy to get by when you're successful, but when there's no level of success that lets you be happy, that's something to look at. So I think, you know, to my, to my point of that getting help, it's, it's okay. Like it's okay to let people help you and it's okay to break things apart, to be able to build back in a better way. Absolutely. That that's really wonderful. And what you said about vulnerability, I think a lot of people struggle with that and just kind of, one keeps suppressing it and putting it under the carpet yeah yeah i remember reading in your book karen that uh, i can be terrified when i don't know what to do next 
Oh, mm-hmm. I love that. Be excited, yeah. Excited because I see because you really struggle with uncertainty when we don't know what is going to happen if I go on this path or what to do next. So uh, yeah. tell me more about this when you wrote this and uh, what was you know you, what what were you going through? Well, first it was absolutely borrowed from a book. Um, the book was called The Inner Game of Stress by I believe it's um. Tim Galloway. Um, and I had seen his stuff earlier in my life because he wrote the inner game of tennis and the inner game of skiing. And it was really a mindset. And it was when I read that excitement and fear have feel the same to your body. Fear is excitement without breath. And I was like, oh, you know, the body just knows like, oh, there's something to react to. But if we can breathe with it, um, that allows us you know, a moment, you know, to catch on. Um, I think, you know, when people think, oh, I'm trusting my inner wisdom and then they come up to an obstacle and then they become afraid and they, they think they're afraid because they've never done it, which is natural. You know, my daughter's learning to drive right now. It's scary because she's never done it. She doesn't have the experience, but it's also the same as being excited because I just don't have the experience to know what's happening next. Like it is, it is a physical sensation. And I think, if you can allow yourself the thought that am I, am I afraid or am I excited? Yeah. Because then you're like, Oh, I'm actually really excited about this. And if you can then, or if you say, Oh, I'm afraid of this, then check out what that's about. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't trust this person. Or, you know, I think that there might be, um, you know, something I'm not looking at, which, you know, often we see with our clients who are considering major decisions you know, I think I want to do this, but I think I want to do this. Well, you know, tell me about the experience. You know, what have you learned from this? Oh, how'd that feel? Well, I didn't like that. You know, because people know stuff. I didn't like, I didn't like how, you know, he didn't look me in the eye or, you know, whatever it is. So yeah, basically going to the depth of your, your fears and really, you know, really seeing them face to face, right? Yeah. And at the time I was reading that, it was in preparation for one of our surf retreats. And when we started doing those, the idea was to create such a thrilling experience that people had to be present to it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, very often, especially in California, um, unfortunately, I met a Canadian surfer, so it made it a lot easier. (laughs) But, you know, there's California dream of surfing. And, you know, it's it's very hypnotic and romantic. This like, oh, I'm going to do this. So people have this on their bucket list. I want to go surfing. But it is like, you've never done it before. People are afraid of the water. People are afraid of what they can't see people. And so we worked with that in a, how can we flip this a little bit to turn this into, you know, if you can face this wave, what else can you face? You know, if you can face this, you know, the ocean and all the unknowns, what happens when you take that back to a boardroom? You know, when you think that this is just about you showing up and being with what is and being open to learning, you know, how does that translate to the rest of your life, which is why we love doing it for so long. So that when I read that book, I was like, okay, we're going to apply this. Like it was on my whiteboard and we're just like, okay, we just need to program this in because often it's just a, you know, one of those little gems that people hear and they're like, oh, yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> Didn't know that. And I remember that uh, you had one, another sentence, which I really loved in your book was that I can't be in charge of my energetic experience as much as I can be of my physical or emotional ones. So um, yeah. Yeah. really being fully present and I think surfing or any any kind of sport is they can really, you know, bring uh, to the present moment. Yeah. 
Well, and I will tell you, I tried it with different activities too. And for me, the, the higher impact things, especially in nature, felt to me that they had more um, of an effect on people long-term versus other things I did. Like I thought, like I did a bowling thing. I did a race car thing. Like, and <laughs> they're not bad. Like you still learn things, but it's not the same level of presence right. and the same level of like really commitment to being in an environment. So what would you say to people, you know, uh, that how they can be more in charge of their emotional and, you know, energetic? So I think you very often we are used to, and you'll laugh when I say this, we're used to outsourcing our um, our issues. So, you know, oh, my elbow hurts. Let me go, you know, see my physical therapist or, oh, my stomach's not right. Let me go see my, you know general practitioner, whatever it is. So we're used to outsourcing those things because we are not necessarily the experts on them. And when it comes to our own emotional experience, we tend to be more expert than we want to give ourselves credit to. Um, so I think it's, you know, a great example is if you know, and this is a, a great one, you know, with teenage girls, you know, if you know that being around someone doesn't make you your best self, you know, pay attention to the feelings, you know, pay attention to those emotions the same ways you would if it was your elbow hurting from playing tennis incorrectly you know, to understand that you are going to react to things and to, you know, be able to, you know, put a pin in it briefly and say, okay, what happened? You know, what was going on? Who did I become in that? Is that who I want to be? And I think, you know, there's a level of self-mastery around emotional intelligence that I think is achievable, but I don't think it's necessarily something that people are always seeking. And I find that, you know, for many high achieving people, and I tend not to use overachieve as much anymore, but for high achieving people, the more relaxed and present we can be, the more effective we can be versus the more tense and stressed, which is why we need breaks, which is why we need vacations, which is why I think people love working from home right now, because we have our dogs and our cats and our plants and, you know, those things that make us feel connected. And so those are, I think, you know, to always look at the clues. And for me, I've always had journals of like, because I spent so much time in my head, like I had to write down, what do I like? <laughs> What's important? Where do I like to be? Where do I feel at home? And I think that that's a place that when you know more about who you are, and I think um, that, so I have a companion piece that I wrote to the book, which is a journal, a self-guided journal. And one of the exercises is to create your own operating manual. Because Again, I think that people don't look for self-mastery around their emotional experience. And I think it's an invitation to be able to say, these are things that make me work. I'm a morning person. So I know that if I need to do something, I will do it very well between six and 9 a.m. Versus I would not ask my 18-year-old son to do the same because I will not see him till 11. <laughs> but, and that's, you know, self-awareness, self-knowledge, but it's that, that deeper sense of this being that I am has certain preferences, you know, certain skills, certain abilities, and I'm going to look for ways to, to do me better. So I, I offer that as an exercise for people and no one wants to do it. Um, like, how do I make the instruction? You know, it's like, well, I don't turn on with coffee in the morning. You can't give me coffee in the morning because I'll be up until 2 a.m. But tea is good <laughs> or a glass of water. That's a beautiful reminder, actually, to be really present to okay, who, who we are, who we are becoming, what's happening, you know, in, inside of us. Such a wonderful reminder, actually, Karen. 
I just have to add to, but with perspective that, you know, we're not always staring at our belly buttons and saying, oh, me, 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 me. <laughs> but, you know, to not exclude ourselves, you know, at the expense of everything else that's happening in our lives. And I think that that's really the danger that many people, you know, working parents get into is like, oh, I got it myself included. I got to take care of my kids. I got to take care of my husband. I got to take care of the dogs. And, you know, where am I on that to-do list? Yeah, so important to actually put on the, put yourself at the top of that. Yeah. Tell them, yeah. Ideally, or at least in the top five. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. would do so much better for everyone else. So just to sum up our session, I want to ask you just last question. If, if you could give it just a short message to all our listeners, how to do it in a better way, how to create a life they would love living and, and what's that better way the better way is your way <laughs> nobody else has the answers for you other people may help you find the answers but you know and there's a, a my, one of my favorite parts from the book um is it okay if i read this little part the end part this is one of my favorite it's the home is you i'll read the whole <laughs> Home is you. Home is knowing you have value and worth simply because you exist. I'm going to cry. Home is being able to distinguish the negative voices, circumstances, and stories of your life from the truth of who you are. That delightful presence with your unique DNA sequence, who is more than the sum of their parts or any list of accomplishments. And I'll let the, the rest can go to the readers. <laughs> but it's that, it's you being you is amazing and wonderful and perfect. And if there's work to be done, do the work, but but don't let it take away or diminish from the fact that your uniqueness is priceless. The better way is within you. Awesome. And if you need help finding it, look <laughs> and don't stop until you do. It couldn't have been said in a better way. It's beautiful, Karen. Thank you so much. And where can our listeners uh, find you? The best place to find me um, is on my website, which is karenperry.com. Um, my book is available. The journal is available. Um, you can buy them separately. You can buy the bundle. Um, and there's not a ton of content there very intentionally because I am not the expert on anyone's life. I am barely the expert on my own life. Um, but what I always want to do is just point people back to themselves. And that's why I did create, you know, that's why this book exists, because I thought if I can help one person recognize their uniqueness and their specialness, that is enough. And I know I've done that. So that's good. Um, yeah, the answers, the answers are right there. So yeah, um, my book, my journal, they're on my website. Um, there's not a ton of blog content on there. There's not, a, I don't have a huge social media presence because I'm living a life just like everyone else. So, you know, I don't have the answers. I, I swear I don't. <laughs> And that's perfect. <laughs> and I'm happy to help people find their own answers. So. Thank you so much, Karen. It was a delight talking Thank to you. Thank you so much for having me, Solani. It's been wonderful. That was Karen Perry. There's got to be a better way. If you are someone, a mom or a dad, and if you are feeling exactly the same way, that there's got to be a better way. Then I have a question for you. Maybe right now or before you go to bed tonight, just ask yourself, what one thing could I do differently tomorrow? And that would make a difference in my life, the way I'm living. And let me tell you, let me give you a clue. 
it might be not something to add on your to-do list to start doing rather it might be something you want to drop from your list maybe you want to spend less time on social media or you want to worry less about your children or about anything else about your house and you might want to spend more time being relaxed and having fun with your children so think about this question and i will be seeing you soon in another episode of raising parents 2.0 create a life you love living till then keep evolving keep growing and have a wonderful life a life that inspires you your children and make an impact in the world as well thank you so much if you like the podcast keep sharing it with other people and leave a review for us